From the headquarters of Team Cowboy, coming to you all the way from Anderson, South Carolina, it's the Finance Cowboy Show, where we talk about why real estate is boss, how the average everyday person, whether you work a full-time job or maybe you're raising a family, can achieve wealth through real estate, and how the Joneses, you know those people that you've been trying to keep up with, they're actually broke, and we're going to give you a new source of inspiration to look at for what real wealth looks like. We're going to walk you through how to find rental properties, how to analyze them, obtain funding, manage those properties, and ultimately scale your way to life-changing wealth. I'm your host, J.D. Sustar, and I went from being in over $100,000 in consumer debt when I graduated college to now being a multimillionaire in just a few short years through real estate. And this show exists to teach you the principles, tips, and tricks that I used and still use today to build generational wealth through good money habits and real estate so that you can implement them into your life and experience the time and financial freedom that we all long so strongly for. So folks, let's get this party started. Cool. So we got Gerald Peters on here today. Uh, His Instagram handle is full auto 11. I know that because I have been following him for a long time. I, we were just talking, uh, before we went live and I started the finance cowboy brand in 2021. And I remember watching Gerald early on. And I was like, man, this guy is crushing it. Cause he he's good at a lot of different things, but I was really excited about real estate and seeing what other people's content looked like in the real estate space. And Gerald's like, not only out there buying real estate, which we'll get all into, but man's hands on, he knows, you know, how to fix them up, how to start from scratch, get them ready to go, whether he's going to flip it, get a renter in there. And so you guys are in for a treat, Gerald. Uh, thank you for being on today. And, and I'm excited for the audience to get to hear your story. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Honor. Appreciate it. I love talking to other people. Usually I'm the guy asking people to come on my stuff. So it's, <laughs> you get to talk about you. That's everybody's favorite yeah, subject. Exactly. You know, you don't have to ask the questions that you just get to like, I'm going to try to make your head as big as possible. Get that ego blown up over the next hour. Yeah. yeah, those are fun. It's fun. I like it's, you know, that's why we do these things, right? Like we want to talk about it and you can, you can only talk to your wife, your girlfriend and your brother and your, and your friend next door so much before you drive them crazy. Yeah. They're I sick mean, of it. They're sick of it. Yeah. Last thing my wife wants to talk about is stocks or, or you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Dude, my wife, literally, I was eating Chick-fil-A before I hopped on here and she was like, I need to make a burner account so that I can get onto your page and just roast you in the comments. She's like, because I can't watch half of your videos without just laughing. I was like, I appreciate it. I was like, we'll make you a burner account today, like Miss Cowboy or something. You know, you can just get on there and let me have it. <laughs> yeah. It- that part is tough, man. The, uh, you know, it, but it's also part of the equation. I'm sure we'll get into that. Like, you know, spouse at least supporting you, even if they're not doing the exact same thing. I mean, it's huge. Know, I'm sure you have that just giving you the time to do this and not complaining that you're not doing something else. You know? Yeah. If you don't have that, I mean, we can dive in right now. There's, there's no rhyme or reason to this puppy. If you don't have that significant other, whether you're married yet, especially married, you better make sure you get a good one. Um, you know, when you marry, you're making a pretty big commitment, but whether it be boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, um, that support I know for me has been huge. My wife was like, Hey, I trust you to go out. And for us, it was buy real estate and take these risks because I believe in what you're doing. And if I wouldn't have had that, I can't imagine. And you've probably talked to more people than I have who haven't had that, what that friction would be like, that pushback would be like, if you're trying to do this while your spouse is saying, no, I don't like it. 
Yeah, man, I do a lot of one-on-ones. I don't know if you call them, I don't like the term coaching necessarily, other than just sitting down with someone who's further down the journey who can, you know, maybe look at your situation, assess it, or give you some advice. And that is one of the biggest things. Like that's one of the most common recurring themes is either, and it's from both sides. It could be a woman who's really into investing. She's into wanting to do real estate or whatever. And, you know, husband's just, he's not there. Most of the time it's the other way around because most of my audience is male, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And usually, usually there's a, sometimes there's a reason like you've done a lot of harebrained ideas, you know, let's be honest. You've done a lot of stuff that didn't work and, you know, maybe you just need to address that with them. And, and, um, you know, also maybe the spouse needs to kind of know who they married. Maybe they married someone that's going to do a lot of harebrained ideas. It's just the way it is. Right. Yeah. I'm that way. I'm that guy. Every day I got a new business idea. And <laughs> every day I'm like, wow, we can, you know, and my wife's kind of learned to like ignore all of them until I won't stop talking about something in particular. Yeah. You know? My wife and my best um, friend both say they make me say something three times before they're like, right. okay, he's being serious. Yeah. Let's take this serious. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think that's part of it is like, you know, people got to take you serious and sometimes you got to earn that. And, and you, you know, you got to ask yourself, why aren't they backing you? And, and maybe there's like a legitimate reason for it, you know? And if that's the case, then maybe you got to earn that, you know, that's how I always looked at it. It's like, don't, don't make it as, you know, don't make it some big ordeal, just figure out why they're not backing you. And, it, and then at the end of the day, it could come to, you know, people don't like to hear this, but maybe you're just with the wrong person. Yeah. And the sooner you can fix that, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think at the heart of yeah. all this, and it's exactly what you're saying. I'm just reiterating what you're saying is communication. You've got to be able to sit yeah. down and talk with that person about it. You got to be able to, you know, hear their criticism. You know, they got to be able to take yours and hopefully we're doing it in love and we're not escalating to a, a, a screaming match, you know, and not to be, not that me and Gerald are marriage counselors by any means, but we've done some stuff with the spouse by our side. And so we know um, you know, how it works and we've seen it done wrong. And so, you know, hear us out, you know, figure out what their fears are. It's like Gerald said, there's normally something hiding. There's skeletons in the closet, something they experienced when they were younger, some trauma that is keeping them from holding, like making them hold themselves back, not want to do it or vice versa. Trauma is causing somebody to be that, you know, oh, I got, let's right. go do this. Oh, let's go do that. And it may not be trauma. That's that's exaggerated. But I think if you guys sit down and communicate, um, that's going to be key. So, Gerald, tell everybody who you are, man, your story. I don't know if I've heard your full story. And we'll get into real estate in a minute. But just, you know, where you started to where you are today, because you're obviously ultra successful today. But if you're like the rest of us, you didn't start that way. No, absolutely not, man. Um, pretty pretty normal uh, childhood. I uh, was raised by a single mom first parts of my life poor, you know, and you're at that age when you look back, you don't even remember being poor, man. Like, you know, it wasn't really a thing, but you know, looking back now we were, we were pretty poor and I don't know, I'm around seven or eight. My mom met the guy that became my stepfather. He had a big impact on me. Um, not so much as a dad per se, but just as a a dude in my life who just gave me good direction and kind of let me be myself. Um, you know, he, he was really smart. He was a computer programmer and this is back when nobody had a computer. So like in the seventies and eighties, my dad's coding 
you know, so I'm 10 or 11. We got computers at the house. Nobody does, no. you know, cause I'm 53 now. And they were just black screens with green writing and there was no pictures. And so it wasn't something that I was into as a kid, you can imagine. And I go to the army cause I wasn't going to borrow money, to go to college. I didn't know anybody doing that. I hated school. So I couldn't even imagine borrowing money, go to school. Like it just, so, and what do you do when you're poor white kid with no options? It's like jail, blue label, go collar labor or go to the military. And, uh, I thought military would help me maybe. So I do that route. My dad was a Marine. So he's always like, Hey, you got nothing to do. Go to the military. And, uh, that worked out, man. I got, I got a lot of skills there, but growing up as a kid, I was always kind of a hustler trying to make money, shoveling driveways. That was my hobbies, just trying to make a few bucks. And I took that to the military and there's kind of a couple incidents. Um, one, I, I feel like I got a lot of work ethic from that background and being in the military, but when I was there, I met a guy, I'm in his room and he had just been promoted to sergeant and have a little, but I noticed there was something on his table and it was like a bank statement and he had like $117,000 and he's like 24, you know? And I remember just looking at that and, and, I, and then he noticed I was noticing it and he didn't really mean to leave it out, you know? And I was like, bro, is that your, is that money? And I, you know, I had to look again. He goes, yeah. And he go, I go, it is so silly now, but I go, how did you do that? He looks at me and goes, saved it. And I remember thinking, like, it just hit me. Wow. Because everything I'd make, I'd spend, you know, mm -hmm. I hadn't had any financial training. I guess I knew that, but it was just the way he said it. It was so profound. I was like, wow, you could just keep your money and it'll accumulate. Yeah, you it's, can, it's a difference between hearing it and seeing it. I mean, even when you're presenting information, when somebody can see that information you're presenting, it sticks. And so for you to walk in at whatever age you said you were very young and see over a hundred grand checks sitting on the table, dude, that's like gold. What's up, friends? If you've been wanting to get into real estate or maybe you're in real estate and you got a few properties, but you want to scale, but you're just not sure how, I want to help you out. The waitlist to my signature course and mentorship, the Rental Academy, is officially open. All you have to do is text me the word WIN, W-I-N, to 864 660 7148 and that will put you on the wait list so you'll be the first to know when the doors are open to the academy so you can ensure that you get a spot and along the way I'm going to send you a lot of cool behind the scenes content as well as we lead up to the day that the doors actually open to the course there are tons of students already currently enrolled in the rental academy having amazing success and I can't wait for you to join in with those folks who are already crushing it so that you can change your life for the better. You can give yourself your time back. You can have that financial freedom and you can build generational wealth for years to come. Yeah. So seeing it, like you said, real life is like, wow, okay, it's possible. This is just a normal guy like me. And I was like, what are you going to do with that? And he told me he was going to open one of those oil changing places. He was saving for a franchise when he got out. That was the first guy I'd like just bumped into, like had a plan, was saving money. And I was like, wow, I don't have a plan and I'm not saving anything. And it, that kind of hit me. And so I started thinking along those ways. And then the internet started to come out. And then uh, when I got home, I about this time I'm reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. Like that book is just coming out and I'm playing around with network marketing, 
I'm doing anything I can think of, man. If I could flip something, I'd flip it. I'm just, my brain's always, you know, flipping. And I, and I don't have any ego tied to what I do. I could sell cups, hot dogs, or be a lawyer. Like to me, money's money. I don't have ego tied up in, you know, if I could get rich cleaning restrooms, I'd be the guy in there, you know, cleaning the restroom. And Beautiful. That's, that's been a benefit to me, I think. You know, I, right now I could go mow yards. Like it just wouldn't bother me. I don't have any ego tied up in what I do to make money. Um, I think a lot of people doing that can hurt you, yep. you know? It limits you 100%. It limits it, you it, big time. It really does. You know, especially people get tend to get college degrees and they feel like they need to go do that. And it's like, yeah, or you could get on with this construction crew and make twice the money. Like who cares about your degree? I mean, you don't, you don't have to lock yourself into doing one thing because you got a piece of paper. that says you do that one thing. I mean, um, so that was a big moment meeting that guy, reading Rich Dad Poor Dad kind of got me thinking and reading other books. And then I'd hooked up with the woman who's my wife now and we're dating and she had a good friend from third grade and they were millionaires. That's, you know, that was kind of how they described it to me. And they were a couple of years older than us, not much. And I'm not, I got like 15 grand saved. I got a little lawn care business and I'm working part-time at the prison and I'm trying to figure life out, man. And I, I knew it was some entrepreneur. I knew if I just got a full-time job, that was it for me. I was going to be locked in, have a couple kids. And that was going to be it, dude. I was, yeah. I knew that. So I was, I was resisting that. And I'm trying all these things. And we went on this trip. And at first I kind of didn't want to go. Cause she's like, yeah, they got a lake house and you know, some couple million bucks and a business. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a little intimidated. I don't want to say intimidated. I was more embarrassed, I guess. Cause I don't have any of that. Yeah. And we go and the guy was just like, Super cool. He was into what I was doing. You know, next thing I know, he's like, well, how much money you got saved? And I'm like 15 grand. He's like, oh man, you know what I would do? And like, he's just all into what I'm doing. He didn't want to talk about what he was doing. That's cool. That's a lesson right there for all you guys listening. Be more uh, interested in the people that you're with than yourself. And you'll make some of the greatest connections in your life. Yeah. It was a huge impact on me. And I wanted to like hear about his shit. And he was like, no, man. So tell me, what kind of margins you getting on this lot? Like he's all into what I'm doing. And then he begins to say, well, here's how you buy it. He's like, if you want to be a millionaire, it's easy. You just need to buy 10 houses. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes 10 houses. And he started breaking it down, put 20% down, go over there, fix it up. You're going to get some equity. And, you know, he kind of broke down the real estate game in a very simple, easy to understand way. We didn't go into sec. All these questions people ask me every day. We didn't even talk about that. Yep. Section A, multifamily, LLCs. Ins- we didn't talk about any of that crap. He's like, go home, find a two bedroom or three bedroom, one bathroom house and buy it. And and I, and I he gave me this little book to read from like 1950. People always ask me, what was that book? I don't remember. It was about a school teacher that had 50 houses and he was a school teacher. Wow. And, and I'm like, well, shit, if that guy can do it. And the reason he gave me the book is that was his school teacher who got him into real estate and business. And, 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 and so I, I read that one night and gave it back to him. It was only one copy. It was out of print. So he wasn't going to give it to me. And I left. And that year I bought two houses. Like I, I just came home. I just did exactly what he told me. I didn't go read other courses. I didn't go learn about trailer parks. I did this one thing that he showed me. Wow. And so what did those... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and then that year, you know, I was like, oh, you know, we going on vacation with them again, you know, cause I wanted to, <laughs> and I went back and like recorded and he's like, 
you bought houses? Like he was shocked. And I was like, yeah, man, I bought two. What do I do now? <laughs> that is awesome. So you, you just dove in. You're like, okay, this guy's crushing it. He's cool. He's like crushing it and he's not a douche. <laughs> so it's like, that's a win-win too. He tells you what to do. You go do it. And you're like, all right, like I'm all in now. What did those, um, give us, give us get into the nitty gritty a little bit on the real estate side. And then I want to continue, continue the story and, and, and how it evolved from there. So first you're at what age at this time, roughly? I get out of the army at 27 and me and me and uh, who becomes my wife meet around that time. We don't buy our first property till, um, 2002. So I'm 32. Wow. That's awesome. So, you know, you, yeah. So from about 28 to 30, 31 ish, I'm Dave Ramsey. I'm killing debt. My wife had called, she had a master's degree, 45,000 student loans. You know, I'm really focused on getting rid of that. Cause I didn't know what to do, you know, but I knew if I just get rid of that shit, that was a good start. Right. Yep. And about that time I meet him after I've killed most of the debt other than my personal home. I hadn't killed that yet, but I had no car payments, no student loans. I got 15 grand, a little side hustle, meet him and, and, you know, we're, we're rolling from there, man. And rolling on. That's so interesting because that's, um, very similar to my story. Uh, personally is I come out of college in 2013 and I got tons of debt and I had scholarship to play baseball. Still had college debt. You know, I'm in the South and South Carolina. You got to get a jacked up truck, wedding ring. Next thing you know, you know, I'm in like a hundred thousand plus in debt and I'm what, 22 years old. And so for the next five years for us from 13 to 18, we Dave Ramsey style just attacked debt. And I always make this part of my story known because I feel as though people listening to this, people who are watching and following us on social media, they're seeing YouTube videos. They tend to think that folks like ourselves just ended up where we are overnight. (laughs) And there was no, there was no struggle to get there. Um, But you bought your first property at 32. And before that, you were finding your way through life and paying off debt. Same thing for me. I bought my first property just a few years before that. I was 27, but I had spent pretty much my entire twenties up until that point cleaning up debt. And I'll tell you what guys and gals listen to this. It's not that fun. And that's why most people don't do it. If you look, they call folks one percenters for a reason. And it's not because 1% of people have the ability to achieve wealth and financial freedom. It's because only 1% of people will actually put the work in and stay committed to doing it. But if you will do it, me and Gerald can attest that it is totally worth it on the flip side. It is. And the problem with the debt isn't so much like I always get friends that push back on me about car payment. I had a buddy the other day, look, am I going to have a car payment? I'm like, yeah, and you make 470 a year. <laughs> Who cares if you have a car payment, right? That guy can live a little sloppy. Yep. He can have subscriptions. He can, you know, drop a thousand a month at gas stations and still have an abundance of money. But if you drive for Amazon, if you work a normal job and then you like you said, you had a car payment and a house note and phones. And by the time you add all these things up, man, it's like, wow, what well, you don't have a lot to save, you know? And uh, I think that's what we're pushing up against is you have to get some margin. Yeah. It, 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 and what I find too, the smarter people are, they tend to push back on that. It's like, well, you know, you know, like they do with Dave, like, well, this debt, interest rate is higher. And it's like, bro, this is not about math or intelligence, or you wouldn't be in this situation. Yep. 
It's about fixing your shit, you know, and same with investing. When growth stocks were flying and meme stocks like in 2000 and man, in our group, we were making a lot of money, man. You would just buy it and it'd go up. I would have the same advice to everyone. First, get out of debt. Get yourself right. Get yourself a home. Save up some money. And this was the order of operation. No matter what is going on in the world, that's the order of operation. And they'd be like, no, I don't want to pay the student loan off. I'm going to go buy growth stocks. So they put all their money in growth stocks to see them fall 70% and they still got the student loan. And, and you just get hit on both ends. And I'm like, now imagine if you'd have listened to me paid off the student loan. Now you don't have any loans and growth stocks are 70% on sale and you could just be buying them up. Making bank. And it's like the biblical story. Build your house on a strong foundation, solid rock. Guess what? You're going to be okay when the storm comes. You build it on sand, you're going to get blown down. And too many people try to skip. It's like you said, there is a pecking order to building wealth correctly that is going to last the test of time. And if you skip steps, unless you just get extremely lucky, which most people don't, um, you're, you're going to pay the price. You're going to pay the price. So let me ask you about real estate. What did, so you, you're with this gentleman on vacation. He's like, go buy property. And you, unlike most people go do it. Most people would dabble and they'd analyze and they get paralysis by analysis. You said, no, screw it. We're going all in, baby. We're going all in. So what did those first two deals look like? What type of properties, classes, how'd you fund them, analyze them? And I know it wasn't sophisticated at this time. So you can be completely transparent with it. Yeah. So I, I purposely targeted two bedroom, one bath. And I get asked about that all the time. Why? Uh, they're cheaper. (laughs) I'm a very simple guy, man. Like it's like steak and potatoes. I, I, you know, I'm a very simple man. And I think that's part of the key to life. And I bought not to say there's not a four bedroom, three bath, two car. That might be an amazing deal. Doesn't matter. I ain't got no money. So I got to focus on what I can do right now with what I have, with what I can execute on today. And, and in my area, and here's the thing, I was so naive. I didn't even know that I was sitting in a gold mine. Like, I didn't know that. There was an abundance of two bedroom, one bath houses because people, for whatever, you know, families, they tend to buy three ones, two one. So there was just an abundance of, from the 1950s and 60s, they built all these farm track houses that were two bedroom, one bath, you know? And, and, and so my first two houses were that. It was a two bedroom, one bath. And then I bought the one next door, two bedroom, one bath. And basically this whole subdivision is mostly two ones or three ones. And the house, and when I say it now, everybody's like, oh, but it was, it was 37,000 in a neighborhood where houses are going for 70 or 80, but it was in pretty bad shape, man. You know, it was, it was, it needed some money and some love and attention. And you got to remember the time frame. I said too, 2002 to 2003 is the tech crash. I'm not even smart enough to know we're in recession. <laughs> I'm not in recession. You know, I'm working at the prison mowing yards. Like it, I don't even watch CNBC. I'm, there's no YouTube telling me you're in recession. I'm not listening to any finance guys. I'm just getting up every day trying to make a living. And I just run out and buy properties. And it's one of the things that always amazed me when people, but what about this? I'm like, man, I didn't even know any of these things you're asking me right now when I was doing this. It's like, you need to really so I bought the first deal and I put 20% down. That's what I was taught to do. 
at the time, I didn't even know that's to avoid PMI and all the like logical reasons. I just did what he told me and I put 20% down. So you can imagine the size of this loan. My mortgage payment's like 205. I mean, it's ridiculous. Later, the bank wouldn't even do these kind of deals because it was just too small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't find a bank now who will loan under what, 75000 Right, A lot of them. And, and unless unless you have a relationship with them, and, and this is what I learned too by default. I didn't know I was doing a good thing, but using the same bank, and I was using a bank that only had two branches, same mortgage broker every time. And um, yeah, so I got the first deal 20% down, same thing on the next one. And I, I think I told you I had 15 grand saved and on a 30 something thousand dollar house that was 7,500 and something down the one next door, 7,000. I was able to do the deals as one deal. Working with a local bank, you can kind of do things yep. that made them packaging the, the loan easier for them than doing little bitty loans. And so long story short, I ended up putting all 15,000 down. Matter of fact, I had to borrow a little money just so I had at least 2000 or whatever it was, a thousand in, in my checking when the deal closed. Wow that I then gave back to my dad. Um, so, I mean, all in. And it's funny, whenever I say that, people go, but in your book, you talk about having a do-over account. And I'm like, yeah, man, like you need that. But like, I mean, what am, what, I don't need to do, I don't got no kids. There, there's nothing going on here. Like it's, it's uh, you know, you don't need to be 19 with a $40,000 savings emergency fund. Like put that money into a deal. You know, you got, you're going to work this week. You'll get some money back, you yep. know? So, but yeah, I went all in on those two deals, man. Got them up. You know, I don't know how much I put in them. Probably more than I should have just because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, luckily my wife knew way more than I did. She grew up with a mom that would paint and, you know, kill chickens and clean them and like that kind of thing, you know. Um, So she was able to dive right in and do a lot of, a lot of that stuff while I was working. Wow. So you guys went in and, and fixed it up yourself. You didn't hire out any contractors. It was hands-on. Let's go in and get it done. Hands-on. And then some stuff you're going to have to, like, I don't, I can't lay a roof. So if I had to fix a roof, I would call them, you know, electricians, you know, if it's past hanging a ceiling fan, we start calling electricians and we, we tried to just do as much as we could. You know, a lot of times I hear people with the, I don't have time and it's like, yeah, you do. Yeah. You can make time. If you want to be wealthy, you'll make time. Yeah. You just got to value things differently. Yeah. That's good. You know. Now, did you keep these two properties as long-term rentals? Did you end up flipping them after you got fixed up? What was the, you you do these two, like the guy tells you, you go back like, bro, I bought properties. What's next? How do you, cause you know, we've talked, you've done over 40 deals, you know, in in your life. I still have them. Wow. Still have them. And uh, I need to let, I need to sell both of them because I the plan that I'm trying to formulate to execute on and 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 you know I've got a little sim what do you call it I'm a little uh uh what do you sentimental toward toward both of them you know because yeah. they kind of launched my whole thing they're paid for there's no mortgage on them they cash flow they're perfect little houses but it you know one of the drawbacks of a two bedroom one bath is it only appreciates so much. Uh, versus a three, four or, or in a nicer neighborhood. You know, it's the thing about going into bad neighborhoods and buying properties. It may stay a bad neighborhood and it may cash flow, but it's never going to run up and be, you know, a very expensive home. So there's gifts and takes in this game. Yeah, no, that's spot on. That's, you know, you get a lot of the same questions I do. You know, where do I buy? What's the, what's the best neighborhoods to buy? And there's really, 
No right answer. Um, if you're going to buy in those lower class, call it a D class neighborhood, just like Gerald said, you want to make sure there's some cash flow there because you, you probably won't be able to get the appreciation like you would if you bought in a nicer B to C class neighborhood. But once you get those puppies paid off, no matter where they're at, you get rent coming in. That's straight butter, as we like to say. That's straight butter. You're sitting pretty. Yeah. And and sometimes some things are situational dependent. You know, I was doing a coaching call with a guy the other day. He makes a lot of money. He wanted to buy, you know, three bedroom, two bath that had just been built. They're brand new. As an investor, I would never do that. And to me, that's like paying... Let's buy whatever stock when it's at its 52 week high on the highest day. Like I would never do that. Yeah. Like I, that's not in my nature. That's not my business plan. But if you work a lot and you have a lot of money, you can do things like we were saying in the beginning that maybe guys that are on a budget or tighter should not be doing. And you have that wiggle room because you make so much money. You know, I told him I would never do this deal. I can't condone it. But in your situation where you just, have money piling up. If you just want to buy nice, expensive home. I mean, I guess it's better than doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how I would approach it. No. Cause like you're saying for those of you guys listening who would be like, well, why wouldn't I buy a super nice brand new home? Well, 99.9% of the time it's not going to cash flow. So if he's buying this brand new home at half a million dollars, mm-hmm. uh, you're not really going to find a market to where you're going to be able to get enough rent unless it's a short term rental. We're not talking about that right now. Long term rental. You're not going to be able to bring in the rents per month that are going to give you any cash flow. So he is most likely what Gerald's saying is is going to have to pay part of that mortgage every month, even if he gets it rented, because the rents aren't just going to be high enough. But this guy's a high income earner, so he's making a half million plus a year, and he's having to cover five hundred dollars a month in the mortgage. He's okay with doing that because he's saying, okay, that's just five hundred bucks out of my budget. That was extra money anyway. I'm banking on this property going up in value over time because it's in such a good area. While tenants are still paying down a decent part of this, you know, loan for me, I'm getting tax benefits. I'm with Gerald on this. I don't teach that. Uh, if it was a one-off yeah. and a guy making bank came to me, you know, and he's just set on it, I'd be the same way. But hey, man, you know, if you want to do it, that's fine. I'm not doing it that way. And I think me and Gerald's, yeah. you know, strategies are kind of the same. It, it, same thing when you're buying stocks, you want to buy undervalued deals because that's where you can, you can add money to them. Probably like Gerald, like y'all did on these yeah. first two, my guess is you said the comps were worth 80,000 in that neighborhood where you bought those first two, you got them each at 37 K. Let's say you put 10,000 in them, 15,000 in them. Well now, boom, you got instant equity. Yep. Yep. And, that, and that's it on every deal, every deal, you know, I'm not looking for home runs. Sometimes I hear guys describe deals and I'm like, wow, dude, I wish I could find those, man. Cause they're just so amazing. It's like, I've had some lucky ones where it was like, wow, that was really good, you know, but I've never had some of the ones that I hear people describe. And most of mine are just earned equity. You know, I, I looked, I put in an offer. I lost the deal. I look, I put in an offer. I lost it. Oh, I got this deal. Okay, cool. You know, we're going to try to put in 10, 15 grand. We're working on it ourselves. Four or five months later, it's done. They reappraise it. And we have, after all our costs, it's worth 20, 30,000 more. And we got into it. Yep. And you're like, cool, paper equity. What a lot of people understand is that doesn't really put money in your pocket today, today, but it does. It does go to your balance sheet. You know, it does go to your net worth. And, and then over time, you know, I always tell people for me, I, the, to really see it, and I got it on my whiteboard right now. I was going to do a class. 
to really see the power of real estate is a five-year run in my vision, in my view. Your money down, collect those loan payments for, you know, pay down that loan for five years, collect that cash flow for five years, you're depreciating and to see it appreciate and that 30, 35 grand, whatever you put down ends up being 100, 120 equity at the end of that five years. And now imagine you bought one a year. Now you're at 500,000 equity just in the real estate, not counting whatever else you're doing. I mean, that's when you, that's when it starts making a difference. I got a little bit, use the word lucky. Uh, You can only be lucky if you take action. So people say, well, you bought at the right time before the market went up. Well, I took action and you didn't. So who's the loser here? Not me. And that's when you got on the train. And I try to explain that to people in the stock market. There was a dude who turned 26 and just read eight books and decided to get in the stock market two days before the crash of 2007. Oh, you know, there was that guy. And then he's like, the hell with the stock market. And then there's another dude, eight months later, read the same books, got in. And he's like, man, this is amazing. And he caught the bottom. And it's like, they were both doing the same activity, yep. you know? And it's like, you got to stay with it. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you don't. Yep. I mean, the whole point is like you're saying, yeah. just go, just do it and then stick with it. And you know, I, I was just yeah. saying, you know, with, with the timing I bought, you said five years, I'd say that's pretty darn accurate. If you bought when I did in 2018, the market jumped up in 2020. And so I started seeing it about three years in. Uh, but the whole point here is where there's three years, five years, seven years, if you buy and hold over time, real estate will yeah. make you wealthy. That's just the bottom line. If you buy good, hold over time, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I'm glad I did that. Number one. And the second thing you're going to say is why didn't I buy more of these? Yeah. Everyone I've ever met who has, let's say uh, uh, several, wish I'd have bought more. Yep. I've never heard anyone go, man, I hate having these 32 properties or they go. I wish I would have never sold. You know, the guys, some of the guys who've been in a long time, they've sold some off. They're like, man, if I'd have held on to those three, I'd, be worth a million dollars more. Yeah. You know? I'm that way. That's why I don't flip. People always ask me, why don't you flip houses? I'm like, cause I like money. Yep. And that always throws them off. And they're like, Oh, what do you mean? It's like, yeah. Cause you're seeing the flip today. I'm every deal I do pays me in three to five years. And my return is tax free and larger than the flipper. So the difference is the product that I'm buying, I don't get paid for five years. He might get paid in four months. That's cool. I don't need money in four months because I got houses I bought seven years ago that are paying me today. You get what I'm saying? So once you get it going, you don't need that flipper money. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't flip, but for my brain and the way I analyze investments, it's like, it's okay if you like to pay taxes, not wrong flipping a property, but I'd much rather 1031 and roll it into something bigger, paying me more. I mean- just the way my brain works, yep. you know? Yeah. There's, there is, um, the, the real wealth is built through holding. You can flip if you need capital, go ahead. But me and Gerald will yeah. flip. We're flippers just five years down the road. And that flip may look like selling and doing a 1031 exchange. Like Gerald said, and deferring taxes, that flip may look like a cash out refinance where I pull capital out for another project. And I guess what? Still don't pay taxes. Or that flip may look like pulling a HELOC out. Guess what? Don't pay taxes on that. I keep the property. And so we're going to access that equity, but we're just going to have more equity when we access it. And we're going to be a lot wealthier. And so if you're in the position to be able to buy and hold, that is where wealth is built. You can listen to 
guys talk about wholesaling. You can listen to people talk about fix and flips. I'm familiar with both and there's a time and a place. But if you're trying to build wealth, those two won't do it for you. You're going to build wealth through buying and holding real estate. Yeah. And and I think it's, I think wholesaling is interesting in that I would like to find the deals they're finding and skip the wholesaler and I keep them for myself. (laughs) Like that's the only reason I would even want to spend time on that, you know, Yep. because I get a lot of kids ask me that, like, should I get into wholesaling? And I'm like, no, you should go get a really good paying job and start buying real estate. Yeah. Like save yourself the trouble, man. Like you're, 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 you're getting off track. Yep. If the goal is to acquire properties, then do things that's going to get you to acquiring the properties, you know? Yeah. People think, like, oh, I, I want to get real. Go ahead. My bad. Are you, are you a realtor? I have my license, but I don't. I do not list or anything for anybody. I do it just to go look at properties. Yeah. And, and it can help you a little. No, you, you don't have to have billionaires it. don't have it. You do not have to have you it. Know? Mine was, I just didn't want to call my realtor anymore. Cause I looked at property so much and I literally got it to go see properties. I have never listed a property for somebody. never been a buyer's agent. It was, and this was years into my investing journey that I did this. Um, it, and that's the only reason I would do it to be able to access MLS faster and go over there without bugging people. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm the guy who will go over there anyway. If I can get the door open, I'll go in. <laughs> I mean, I've done that. Windows, people are like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, what are they going to do? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to hurt anything. I just look around and then I leave. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't advise that, but I'm that kind of guy. Like if I'm driving down a road and see a property, I'm pulling over, man. And, and we'll start looking through the window and, you know, start poking around. So there are things it can do, but Obviously, you don't need one. Sometimes people think they need it to learn about real estate. And say, guys, no. Most realtors do not understand investment real estate. I have got my license. I've been through it. You're not going to learn anything about investment real estate. You're wasting your time. I'm telling you to this day, the only reason I got mine is to look at houses. It's a waste of money, a waste of time. And you don't need to do it at the beginning because if you're new, you probably need a realtor in your corner where it would be helpful just for pulling comps and stuff. They don't understand the investment part of it as much, but they can pull comps for you. They can look over the contract for you. They can take you through closing, get you connected to inspectors. Exactly. Um, And so, yeah, it it is not a necessity whatsoever. And jumping back, I wanted to hit on this before we move on real quick. You were talking about, you know, I, cause I get all these all the time too. Like I want to get into real estate full time and wholesale. Do you know how to wholesale? And they got a good job. And I'm like, you do understand yeah. that there is a 99.9% chance that wholesaling, the, the work you're going to do is going to suck 20 times more than whatever <laughs> job you're currently doing. I have a guy in my rental academy who's in, in our you know group mentorship to learn about buying rentals, but he's a wholesaler. And we were on a call the other night with our entire group. And I said, how many hours does it take you to get one deal? He said, I was looking at it last week and he said, I'm at 43 hours of cold calling for one deal. Now, do you want to spend 43 hours of your life dialing on the phone to get one deal? I don't. Now there's systems you can put into place, but if you're trying to create income, you don't have 2000 a month to pay a a cold calling company. You just don't have it. And so stop thinking that you have to be in the real estate full time to do real estate. No, I call it having your cake and eat it too. stay at your W2 right now and yeah. build that empire on the side because the W2 currently, there'll be a time where you can walk away, but it's going to give you the tools to be able to reach that financial freedom if you play your cards right. Yeah. And I get asked that a lot too, especially in the world of stocks and trading and all that is they want to quote, either flip houses full time. They want to trade full time. They want to do real estate. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of that shit full time. Like, 
you know, I make enough to live off rentals and I don't just do that. Like that sounds terrible. Like I don't want any one thing in a perfect world. I'm making money six, seven ways and none of them are the main thing. You know, that's me. You know, if Instagram was to turn me off tomorrow, that sucks. But, you know, I still got dividends coming in. I still got my real estate. I'm still trading like all the things that I teach. I actually do. And, you know, I, I mean, trying to be an influencer full time, like that was the only thing I ever that sounds terrible. Part of the reason I can do it and like you're doing this is we have other things going. Yep. And and so I can be like, you know, curse or to hell with an algorithm. And I can say stupid stuff like that, where if you are truly dependent on YouTube to pay you, you you can't just do what I do. Like you, you would have all these restrictions in your life, you know? Yep. Yeah. You become um, a slave yeah. to the platform and the platform can knock you off at any time. And then, you know, it goes in, this is a whole social media lesson, which I think we both could probably teach pretty well, but then it goes into, you better be building that email list. If you really want to build a, uh, an actual business, uh, in the digital, um, coaching mentoring space. But you know, that's a, we could spend a whole, (laughs) a whole podcast on that one. Well, so you got these two properties. How did you scale from there? What, what did your real estate journey look like after you got those first two properties? Yeah. So I got the two and, you know, luckily they were cash flowing and and I had all the money that I could come up with in them. They were actually already rented. Um, Nowadays, I hate that. I almost always move the tenants out pretty quickly. Um, I know the newbies, they think that's awesome. You just take over, you're getting the rent checks and everything's just going to go smooth. That's not what happens. All of the problems you didn't discover or find slowly start breaking. And usually you're nibbled to death with all these repairs. I like to move them out, totally remodel the house so that everything is as new or as nice and functioning as it can possibly be. And hopefully I have no problems for five to seven years. I mean, that's, that's my strategy, but so you get two properties, you're broke. You got some rents coming in and I'm like, okay, I need money, man. Like if you're going to do deal number three. And um, so that's where we really, locked down on our finances me and the wife, you know, we, we sat down, my wife, Deanne, and we thought about it. She had a job. She had a master's degree. She was doing her job and, you know, was making more money than me. And what we decided is like, we're going to totally live on her income. We can't do nothing if it isn't covered under her income. Everything I make at the prison, mowing yards, whatever scheme I come up with and the rentals is all compounded. And and so that worked for us. You know, once we were out of debt, we could live on her income and it wasn't much. She was a social worker. So, I mean, we were living on like 3,000 a month, 3,500 a month. And that's, you know, 2003, 2004. So that's probably like five grand a month now. Mm -hmm. And everything, I mean, this, and it's true story, everything I made for the next five, six, seven years, I mean, I just literally put back in. It either bought lawnmower equipment or it bought drywall or paint or saved up for a down payment. As soon as I'd have enough, I mean, I was, I'd be close and I'm start looking again, you know, and then we got three and then four and then five. And then I had some success with some stuff online that I made some money. You know, you keep trying things. Sometimes something hits and all of a sudden you make a little money. And uh, I had this thing where I made, I don't know, 30, 40 grand that year, which was a lot of money to me for something on the side you know, whip out the taxes on that. And I just push it all into, you know, vacations are me traveling to hang out with my rich friend. Yeah. You know, I always, 
wanted to write a book, rich friend, poor friend, because I got another buddy. It's the exact opposite of him. And it's like, whenever I'm hanging out with them, it's like, I love both of them, but the dichotomy is so bizarre, you know? And, uh, but yeah, I went every year, dude, for like seven years to hang out with this guy. And I just kept stacking the houses, trying new business ideas, sharing my stuff with him. And, um, I never had a high paying career. You know, I meet guys that are engineers and they're making all this money. And it's like, man, if you knew what I knew, making what you make, you ten be, years, you were 10 million. Oh, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be I working would in a few years. Yeah. And, and I just, I, I came onto this philosophy and I say it all the time. I, we try to invest 50% of our income sometimes. And that's the goal. That's sometimes not possible. Kids need braces. Bad shit happens. But when it is possible, it happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, other than an act of God or bad luck, that's the plan. And it usually looks more like 42, 43, right? Because you, you're going to go like that. But as long as I'm, oh, I don't want to say if I tell myself 30, <laughs> then it looks more like 28, right? So I, you, your goals need to be a little ridiculous. Not not so big. You, you're like, yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. But just, you know, and, it, and so I started trying to do the 50% thing. Well, if you're investing 40% of your income, no matter really what your income is over a period of time, all of a sudden, and if that money's going into real estate, that leverage is five to one, it's growing exponentially. You know, it doesn't take long before you're like, wow, I'm a millionaire on paper, Yeah, you know? And that's a pretty good feeling. And now you're making, yeah, go ahead. No, I just said, that's a pretty darn good feeling when you see that. It doesn't necessarily change your life immediately, but when you hit that, you know, it's going to start compounding. You know, it's coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know it's coming in. And for me, it was like at around house nine, I want to say, eight or nine. And I had a couple of good deals that helped out on that and stacking money. And around house four, five, um, my doing my trips to my buddy, he's like, well, let's talk about IRAs and dividend stocks. Are you doing anything there? You know? And and then we start kind of talking about that. And and I'm, I became interested in that in the same way that a guy might be interested in fishing or hunting. Like, it's not my whole life. This is not where I'm going to put all my wealth. But it's worth some time and some effort and some interest here. Yep. And for me, it began, I began to just play this little game where I was like, cool, if I do an IRA, it was, at the time it was like five grand for me, five for the wife. It lowered my taxes because nobody was doing Roth then, not much. I would lower my taxes. And then I, I would get dividends. So I was like, cool. What if I let the rent houses do that for me? And I began to play that game. It's like, okay, if I get four houses cash flow, and then I never have to save for retirement, never, they're going to do it for me. And that was, I began to see houses as numbers of like, if I get two, it buys a car. If I get three, it pays for my house. If I, and I began to see that exchange, you know, mm -hmm. um, even if you're not actually moving the money like that, it's just, it's there. you can see it, right? It's there. And that's a powerful house feeling. Pays, go to college, like, I mean, one house when your kid's born is going to pay for your kid's college. Like, and it, once you see that exchange, and then I just began to take my cash flow and I would just push it over to E Trade and put in dividend stocks. You know, you know, fast forward twenty years and you know it's a million dollars. Like, it does. It's not it's just compounded math. I mean, that's amazing. I hope you guys are listening to this. He Gerald started in in o two o three, and so this is somebody. We have a lot of people on this show, Gerald. And some been investing since 2020, some since 2016, some yeah. since, since 2010. But to be able to 
uh, for the audience to listen to somebody who has been doing this for two decades and you see what consistency does. And so many people get stuck on the short term and short term gains are great. And you'll see them. You heard Gerald earlier, five years, you're going to start seeing a difference. But look at Gerald's life 20 years later, let that five year compound for another five years and 10 years, you're like, oh crap. And then 15 years like, wow. And then 20 years, you're like, whoa, (laughs) you know? And so he's been there, done it. And and you're listening to somebody that you guys need to take notes on and trust that the process works. And so Gerald, I would, I would say to you as, as we close this, close this up, two questions, was the grind worth it? Because you, you, you put in the work, was the grind worth it? And then number two, what advice would you give to our listeners who may, you know, just be starting out or maybe they are in real estate and they've got a couple properties and, you know, they're really wanting to get to scale, to be able to, to reap those benefits that we have. The, the scaling part is usually hard. My answer is always, you might have to just look at your life and, and ask yourself, what am I willing to give up to scale? Like maybe you need to downsize, like maybe your family needs to step back for three years to move ahead and, you know. Consider that. I know that's not always an option, but just look at what could be done. Don't always look to borrowing to do that. If you could scale without borrowing, not not saying don't borrow the property. I'm talking about borrowing the down payment part. Sometimes, because you can't borrow the whole part, otherwise that's called 100% leverage. Yep. So keep that in mind. You know, Don't always go to your property. I'm, I'm all for that, tapping a property for equity. But there's nothing wrong with just letting some equity bill too. I mean, I've got over a million dollars just in equity and houses. And I know some people hear that and they're like, oh my God, you should pull it out and go. And it's like, yeah, but it also just feels nice. You know, when, when COVID hit, nobody's paying their rent and I got 13 paid for houses. It's okay. It's going to be tough times, but I don't, the bank ain't getting these. They might get those, but not these. And and there's a feeling there. And I attribute some of that to Ramsey, but I also like to leverage and borrow, but so be careful how you scale don't scale yourself broke. Um, Great advice. On, on the uh, on the first part too, like, and this is what I try to tell everyone: you you, you got to have a value. Your the what you value in life has to line up to your activity. And I think a lot of people are having values posed on them. Like, if you're sitting around thinking about this stuff, you know, people might be like, "Oh, you're always thinking about money. You're always talking about money," and they say it to you in, in a negative connotation as if something's wrong with your value system because it's not theirs. Those people are usually broke. And so you have to ask yourself, would I trade places with this guy who's dropping these values on me? You know, is he going where I want to be? And if he's not, then be careful letting them impose their values. on. And that could be your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. So be careful of that. Um, I get that a lot here as I meet new friends in New Orleans. They don't know me as a quote influencer. And so they'll be like, man, why don't you just be in the moment? You're always on your phone. And it's like, why don't you stay broke over there (laughs) and let me worry about me? You know, like they're pushing their value system on me. And, and you got to be careful because it's easy. We can easily be influenced, man. Like, so just make sure that the influences you're letting in your head are the type of influences you want. Make sure like, you know, and I would also end with this too. Let's say they're in your, it sounds like you have an academy. Mm-hmm. I meant to look and I got sidetracked. Um, I, uh, and, you know, and I have a group too, and, and it's mostly towards stocks, but we do some real estate. And one of the things that frustrates me the most is a guy will come in with me. And at the same time, he's over there with you. 
And then at the same time, he's over here with this guy. And so while I'm teaching some, and you're probably going to be teaching something totally different, that guy's teaching something different. He can't do all three of these things. And then all he has is information overload and he can't do anything because yep. he knows too much damn stuff, man. And it's like, no. And when I get him in for trading, it's like, here's the plan. When it crosses the green line, you buy nothing else. So when you find a two bedroom, one bath that meets your cash flow requirements, you go look at it. You put an offer in, nothing else. Like the more you simplify it, I call it the straight line, man. But as far as the grind being worth it, I think I have a unique advantage. I would do this free. And like I, nobody paid me to write a book. Right. Yep. I mean, they pay you to start your, no, you don't get paid unless people like it. Yep. Right. Nobody pays you to podcast. Nobody pays me to post. Nobody paid me to look for rental properties. Nobody pays me to trade stocks. Literally everything I do in my life, no one pays me to do. Yep. As a matter of fact, I paid to do it. I paid to set the podcast up. I paid to start trading. I paid to buy real estate. So if you think you need payment to do something, you're never going to do anything great. Great. You know, Michael Jordan didn't get paid to play in basketball, right? Like Martin Luther King wasn't paid to give a speech and Gandhi didn't get paid. All the people you look up to would do it for free. Wow. Dude, that's, um, that's powerful right there. That is powerful. Yeah, and the closer and I see, the closer you stay to free, the more money you're going to make, man. That is genius. And he's spot on. He's spot on because you're offering value to other people and it will come back to you 10, 20, 100 fold. Well, Gerald, I want to thank you so much for being on here. This was fantastic. Guys, Gerald's got an ebook that I would recommend everybody go check out. You don't have to die broke. Gerald, where can they find that ebook and where can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, Obviously, anytime at Instagram at full auto one one, um, and then my name just go to geraldpeters.info and grab a copy. The ebook's free. I don't even really follow up. I think I do send one email to ask you if you read it, and then I say you probably did. That's kind of the uh, <laughs> well. You guys should read it. If anybody's hearing it on here, download it and read it because that's how you're going to get better. Gerald, thank you so much for all the listeners yes. listening right now. Uh, Take this episode, share it with a friend, two or three. Uh, it's going to impact their lives. And then also go on to Instagram, uh, take a picture of you listening to this, post on your story and tag me at Finance Cowboy and uh, Gerald at Full Auto 11. Uh, we'd personally like to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to this. We both are in our DMs and uh, it would make our day to know that we had an impact on your life. So Gerald, thanks again. I appreciate it until we talk again. Um, have a great rest of the week, bud. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, Gerald. Thank you so much for listening in. If you love this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would share it with a friend right now, or if you would go on social media and make sure you tag me so I can thank you personally for helping me to get this message out. I want you to know that I am so darn grateful for you and grateful that I am on this journey with you. So until next time, we'll talk soon.